0: hello hi welcome to truly fabulously monstrous a podcast about true crime and weird stuff i am half of your host only half of your host hattie james
1: i am the other half of your host and i am ace hi Ace. hi hattie
0: i just realized when i said only half that sounded like i am the only ha- no i am only half I am just one half.
1: Between the two of us, we make one functioning human being.
0: (laughs) Yes. Like, I think you're better at, like, taking meds and drinking water and doing that stuff. Um, I am better at, I don't know, birthing children.
1: (laughs) If by better at drinking water, you mean I compulsively drink so much water that I wake up, like, four times a night to pee. Yes. You drink
0: enough water for both of us. I don't drink... (laughs) I have this giant thing and the only reason, listeners, you can't see what I'm holding up. I'm holding up like a 48 ounce of Bubba thermal mug yeah. with a straw. And the only reason I'll drink from this is A, it's thermal, so it stays super cold. B, it has a straw because I won't, I'm, I'm a child and will not drink unless it has a straw. And C, <laughs> this has like probably a quarter of a container of neo in it.
1: See, I, at this point, I think it's just because my parents like conditioned me to just drink like plain water when I was young enough. Because my dad's a dentist, things with excess sugar we really didn't have in the house. So like, I never drank a lot of soda as a kid. That was always like a treat when we went somewhere. I may have, I may have a soda pop. But so I genuinely just really enjoy the taste of cold water. (laughs) Just plain cold water, no flavoring in it. So yeah, like, Sometimes I drink because I'm thirsty. Sometimes I just like the feeling of drinking water. So I drink probably too much water.
0: So Ace, last time you told us the wonderful story of Oscar the Turtle.
1: He's my new favorite, Cryptid. I love him so much. He's such a good turtle boy. A good, very big turtle ad. I love him. A
0: nice, warm-hearted, ha-ha, the idiot asshole humans did not win story. Uh, so that means today is my turn for a crime. And <gasps> Call hang on. a
1: crime, Hattie.
0: I'm going to be not able to see you because I'm going to read off my notes on mm-hmm. this big screen. Okay, so this is a mess. My notes are, there's so much going on. I started typing out my notes and then the rest of it I'm going to, When I get to it, you'll know because I'll announce when it is, but I'm just going to be like reading directly off sources because they word it better than I possibly could when it starts getting to be a huge mess. But (laughs) I'm going to tell you about the life. Uh, I'm going to tell you about Susan Berman. Okay. Susan Berman was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota on May 18th, 1945 to Betty Ewald, or Ewald, E-W-A-L-D, a traveling dancer who used the stage name of Gladys Evans and of David Berman, who was a mobster with ties to the mafia in Iowa, Minnesota, New York, and Las Vegas. So a little bit about David Berman. He kind of was first like, a, just like a, a footman type mobster. He went to, to jail a few times. He was kind of the henchman for uh, Bugsy Seagal. Oh, okay. uh, and he kind of took not literal bullets, but like he mm. took jail time for Bugsy. Susan Berman eventually uh, was talking about it once and said that once when he got a sing sing, Bugsy was sent, ascend- and a, a couple other high up mobsters were like, "Name where you want to control, and name your price." And he's like, "I want like unlimited ability to travel to and from Minnesota, and I'll take the racketeering in Las Vegas." And because of that, he pioneered. The casino and hotel industry, along Mm -hmm. with Bugsy Seagal, who owned the (laughs) Flamingo Hotel. And when Bugsy Seagal was murdered, he was called Davey. Davey Berman uh, took over the owning and operation of the Flamingo Hotel. So
1: very interesting character. That's that's some intense background
0: <laughs> yeah and so she was born in minneapolis but her father's business ventures quote unquote business ventures is <laughs> racketeering <laughs> yeah because this is the the 30s and 40s gambling wasn't legal yet so this was right. all illegal i mean police were paid off but um oh, of that, that's how it goes it was still a, a mob owned racketeering business but she grew up in las vegas where the flamingo hotel was and one documentary i watched called her the eloise of the flamingo you know remember like the eloise stories eloise the at the plaza, plaza? Yes. yeah yeah So she kind of really grew up around the racketeering and gambling. She'd like walk into the casino after school one day and all the dancers would be like, oh, hi, Susan. And everyone treated her like a princess. She was a mafia princess. So she ended up residing in Hollywood for her like adolescence and went to school with uh, the likes of Liza Minnelli, which I thought was awesome. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, and this is sad. When she was 12 years old, uh, David Berman, her father, died of a heart attack during surgery—a death she went on to oh. her grave believing was a suspicious, like that she didn't think that he actually died of a heart attack. She thinks somebody killed him during the surgery. And then about a year later, so she's still 12, 13 years old. Her mother died in a presumed oh. suicide of a drug overdose. Susan also went to her grave, thinking this was suspicious as well.
1: That's so sad.
0: But- yeah. Um, but despite being an orphan, she, she prospered. She graduated high school and then she attended UCLA. And she graduated in 1967 with her Bachelor of Arts. It was here that she met her close friend, Bobby, who i will talk about a little bit later. In uh, 1969, she earned her Master of Arts in Journalism from UC Berkeley. She published her first book in 1971, a college guide called The Underground Guide to the College of Your Choice. And it was followed by a very successful memoir called Easy Street, in which she detailed her life growing up as the daughter of a mobster. Uh, She even got like a deal to have this turned into a movie, but the movie never happened. But she sold the rights for somebody to turn it into a movie, made money off that, did interviews. She wrote several more memoirs after this. She wrote more novels she was just a very accomplished writer and she eventually moved to San Francisco and worked for various sources of media she wrote for the San Francisco Examiner the City Magazine the New York Magazine Cosmopolitan Family Circle she also wrote for some television stations like she was a writer on the People Show on CBS and the Westinghouse Evening Show on KPIX TV oh my god yeah, uh, wow. on top of ha- yeah, and on top of having a very successful career, she received steady and gradual payments from the mafia based on her father's interest in the casinos. And these payments totaled by the end of about four point three million dollars.
1: So she was doing okay for herself,
0: like yeah. for a while. Yeah. All right. uh, she eventually settled in Los Angeles and she married uh, Christopher Margyles in June of 1984. The friend I was talking about, Bobby from UCLA, <laughs> um, at this point was a lifelong friend and confidant. And he walked her down the aisle. I mean, unfortunately, two years later in 1986, Christopher died of a heroin overdose, Aww. leaving Susan a widow. But let's talk a little bit more about her friend, Bobby.
1: Um, yeah, let's talk about Bobby.
0: Well, it was never romantic as far as records go. They met around 67, and within a few years, he himself was married. Most right. knew them, saw this relationship not platonic in the hey, were friends, but familial. She was an only child, he had family troubles. They really saw each other as family. He was like the brother she never had. And Aww. when he was going through some legal issues in the early 80s, she was really there for him, thick and thin. That mob mentality never really left her. She would do anything for the people she considered family. Oh shit. I just realized that I have been omitting Bobby's full name accidentally and have totally you? not have intentionally really? for dramatic effect. Uh, her friend was Robert Durst. Do you remember him, Ace? I do. do you remember? It rings yeah. a bell. Yeah, yeah the Mr. suspected criminal in the last crime I did. <laughs> All right, so now that I've mentioned that, you can probably infer- The candy pisser himself. Yes, and now that I've mentioned that, you can probably infer that the legal issue I was just talking about was the disappearance of his wife, Kathy. Mm -hmm. So let me go into more detail on how she loyally helped him during this quote-unquote trying time. Oh, boy. All right. So one thing I forgot- Yeah, so one thing I forgot to mention- In the Kathy Durst case, uh, part of Durst's alibi was that he was in a house near Connecticut and Kathy went missing after she left their house uh, and headed back towards Manhattan. The police, one of the things they found remember this is circumstantial evidence, but it was one of the things that made him a suspect. He had made a collect call the day he claimed to be in Connecticut from Shipbottom, which you probably know where Shipbottom is, but for those who don't know, it is a town by the Atlantic coast and also very close to the Pine Barrens in Uh about central Jersey. And the reason this is important is, remember, we're still in the height of the Mafia in 1982. Susan Berman wore her Mafia ties on her sleeve. uh, And in the height of the Mafia, the Pine Barrens was notorious for being a dumping ground for the mob. So who was the collect call to, you may be asking? He made a collect call. Who was it to? He called Susan Berman. Yeah. Speaking of phone calls... Of the last episode where I mentioned how Kathy allegedly called the dean of the college and called in sick? Yeah. And that's another reason why she wasn't reported missing yes. as soon. Yeah, that um, was weird. Yeah. Do you remember how we discussed that, how it was weird because she would have known who'd actually called a call out and calling the dean is more like, I looked up the number in the in the yellow pages because it's yeah. 1982 and I just called and, oh, this is the dean's number. Hi, I'm, I'm Kathy Durst and I feel sick, you know? Mm-hmm. So investigators investigators suspect that it was Susan who made the the call, uh, which served as trying to push out the day she went missing, A, in order to establish an alibi for Robert, and B, to put some time between when he killed her and when he reported her missing so that it was harder to locate her. Another thing I did not mention last time, uh, he had a media spokesperson during the initial investigation. He did not speak to the media. He did not speak to reporters. He spoke to his lawyer who spoke to the uh, to the police, but for the anything that had to do with the media, because this was a media frenzy, mm-hmm. he used his good old friend, Susan Berman.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she even wrote a deposition regarding his alibi in 1982, which Durst ended up faxing to his lawyers. And uh, so she is... Really thought to be the brains behind orchestrating and planning out his alibi uh, for the disappearance. All right, okay. So this episode, for obvious reasons, ties a lot into the last episode I did. So remember how I said that in 1999, Kathy Durst's case was reopened, and the reopening of the case was made public around October of 2000. Uh huh. All right. So we're going to start now in October 2000. Okay. Uh Susan Berman upon the announcement that the case was reopened was urged to talk to investigators. Some sources state that Susan Berman was willing to talk to investigators about the disappearance. Whether this was to continue to help him not get charged with anything or to spill the beans on his potential role in her disappearance is speculative, but I'm going to lay out some just some information point blank that I found with my various sources. So uh-huh. first at the time from about October to mid-November of 2000, two large payments totaling $50,000 were given to Susan from Robert Durst. And on November 5th, 2000, she wrote to him, thanking him for the payments and expressing her wishes that this would not impede their relationship. I should note that despite getting millions from the mafia and having a successful career, a lot of sources state that by 2000, uh, Susan Berman was struggling financially. There was even one documentary that mentioned that she would buy a chicken, like a whole chicken and make that one chicken stretch two weeks. Like that's the kind of financially struggling she was in at this point. It's widely thought from all the sources I can see that this money was Susan calling up Robert and asking for the money. And I haven't seen much outside of speculation to suggest that this 50,000 was him trying to shut her up and be like, hey, they reopened the case. Here's money like bribing. However, since the case into his wife's disappearance was now publicly reopened, there has been speculation as to what Susan could have possibly said to him if she knew something that would implicate Robert in order to maybe convince him to help her financially. So I'm not saying that she was blackmailing him, but the possibility is, is there. You can't say so she by was December- blackmailing
1: him. You can't say she was not blackmailing him either.
0: Yeah. So by December 2000, some sources state that she either had interviews set up with the New York Times and the NYPD, or she was telling friends that she did. Basically, it looked like she was ready to talk.
1: Right, right. And
0: her friend, Kim Lankford, said that she had told her that she had information that would, and I quote, blow the top off things.
1: Oh, boy.
0: Yeah.
1: That's, if If true, that's not the kind of thing you want to spread around.
0: <laughs> yeah well probably not because december 24th 2000 susan Berman's neighbors heard and saw her three fox terriers running loose on the lawn nice. and susan would never let her dogs loose she was very much a you know my dogs are going to be on leashes when they're outside or they're going to yeah. be with me otherwise they're inside so knowing this because this was suspicious uh they called the cops and the cops arrived at the f- house to find her body lying on the floor she had been shot in the back of the head oh my god yeah Uh, There was no sign of forced entry, no valuables were taken, and her purse with her ID and money were still on the counter. Two things to note here. Anyone who knew Susan knew that she was a very paranoid person. She was very worried about her safety. I mean, she lived in New York. She lived in Los Angeles. She lived in San Francisco. She was literally, she had ties to the mafia. Uh, She never left her door unlocked. She never invited anyone in that she didn't know the second thing to know right. going off of that she was shot in the back of the head meaning yeah. her back was turned to the assailant so she must have trusted him there was no sign of a struggle so yeah. she turned her back on whoever was in her house unassuming trusting them and they pulled out a gun and they shot her they, there's no evidence that somebody broke in and like forced her to the ground and did a good old-fashioned execution it was very much like all the evidence pointed to she let, willingly let the person in she knew them she trusted them so a few days later, a letter postmarked December 23rd arrived at the LAPD that read cadaver with Susan's address. And this would later go on to be called the cadaver note. So after some investigating, her connection to Durst was found. And the following theory was positive. One, Durst killed his wife. Two, Susan helped him cover up the crime. Three, the case into the disappearance of his wife reopened, meaning... Four, Durst panicked and decided to clear up loose ends. And five, Durst, in order to tie up these loose ends and protect the truth of his wife's disappearance, kills the only person who knew the whole truth, Susan Berman. Unfortunately, Durst had a really good legal team. And on top of that, he had a tendency to just disappear. He had aliases, he had houses and properties all over the country he had just money he could take out of his trust in in cold hard cash so that he could disappear and pay people in like money orders they did end up catching up to him in 2005 but in a deposition he alleged that susan had told him october 2000 the lapd wished to talk to about kathy's disappearance this was never confirmed i couldn't find the deposition to find out what else he said but I do know that the case against him started out weak, with the exception of the connection to Kathy's disappearance. There was no physical evidence that he was at her house anytime during the crime. Furthermore, his alibi is that he was nowhere near LA when Berman was killed. In fact, there is evidence that he was in hiding once the Kathy Durst case reopened. Uh, he kind of he disguised himself as a woman in Galveston, Texas.
1: Um, I remember this. Yeah, I yeah, remember and that. And
0: so there's hard evidence that he was in Texas. However, his credit card history puts him on a journey from Eureka, California to San Francisco, the days leading up to Berman's death. And the day that they were able to determine Susan Berman was killed, he actually rented a car in San Francisco. And again, with his credit card purchases, they were able to determine that he was actually in the LA area that day. Still, nothing came to light until a 2015 docu-series called Jinx, aired on hbo Mm -hmm. and this not only did this go into detail on the crimes connected to robert durst but he gave interviews in this including one in which he said well the cadaver note could only have been written by the murderer on top of this the writers and the people in charge of the documentary the jinx were cooperating the entire time with the fbi and the lapd giving them documents to help them build a case against durst so march of 2015 the same time this docu series is airing The LAPD and the Los Angeles District Attorney finally had enough evidence and they reopened the Susan Berman murder case and by March 15th issued an arrest warrant for Durst. Now, I'm just going to read the next series of events straight from the Wikipedia article because it is a lot. (laughs) Okay, so here we go. This is from the Robert Durst Wikipedia article, Okay. So a few days after a first degree murder warrant was signed by the Los Angeles judge in relation to the Berman killing, Durst was arrested by FBI agents on March 14th, 2015, uh, at the Canal Street Marriott in New Orleans, where he had registered under a false name, Everett Ward. Mm -hmm. Durst, who had been tracked to the hotel after making two calls to check his voicemail. So I'm going to stop right here and, and reiterate. He was on the run. He was using a fake name. He knew the FBI was tracking him, but he made calls to his voicemail to check his voicemail, which is what led them to find him. And he was observed, and I quote, wandering aimlessly in the lobby, mumbling to himself. It is known that he had driven from Houston to New Orleans uh, days before. Uh, So in addition to a 38 caliber revolver loaded with four live rounds and one spent shell casing, the police recovered five ounces of marijuana, mm-hmm. Durst's birth certificate and passport, maps of Louisiana, Florida, and Cuba, and a, and I quote, flesh-toned latex mask, the fake Texas ID card used to check into the hotel, a brand new cell phone, and cash totaling forty-two thousand six hundred and thirty-one dollars.
1: But he had his birth certificate with him.
0: Yes. Uh, wow. Police discovered a UPS tracking number, which led to an additional $117,000 in cash and a pair of shoes in a package sent to Durst by a friend from New York. This was also seized after his arrest. They found bank statements for one of Durst's Houston condominiums that revealed cash withdrawals jaw- of up to $315,000 in a little more than a month directly from the Wikipedia article, and I quote, it is believed that Durst had planned to flee to Cuba after the HBO documentary aired since the U.S. and Cuba have no extradition treaty.
1: That's true, yeah.
0: So I don't know if you remember, but I said that Joseph Asera was the NYPD investigator who reopened yeah. the McCormick case. Well, on March 15th, 2015, he was said to have been working closely with the FBI and Los Angeles detectives and removed some 60 file boxes of Durst's personal papers and effects from the home of Durst's friend, Susan T. Gi- uh, Giordano, from Campbell Hall, New York. Uh, all of these items had been sent to Giordano for safekeeping three years prior by Durst's then-wife, Deborah Lee Sheridan, um, and also stored at Giordano's residence were videotaped depositions of Durst his brother Douglas and Cheriton all of which were related to another case that he was eventually tried for that I'm not getting into in this we're talking about Susan Berman so Los Angeles County Deputy District Attorney John Lewin in charging the prosecution of Durst claimed to have found information uncovered by the filmmakers of the Jenks documentary to be compelling and repeatedly flew to New York to interview witnesses including friends of Durst and Berman so he was arrested. Uh, he was arrested in new orleans and he violated a lot of new orleans laws uh one of them being the firearms you know that uh, possession of a firearm so march 16th 2015 uh defense attorney dick DeGuerin advised court authorities in new orleans that his client had waived extradition and would voluntarily return to california but later that same day the louisiana state police filed charges against durst for being a felon in possession of a firearm uh, and for possession of a firearm with controlled substances, which forestalled this uh, extradition back to California, uh, Orleans Parish District Attorney Leon Kenizaro uh, commented that in, quote unquote, in light of the prior convictions that could influence Durst's sentencing, just for the ju- gun charges here in Louisiana, he could face up to life in prison. Wow. I don't know what his lawyers were pulling, but they were just trying to delay everything at the same time saying they weren't. So let's get started. March 23rd, 2015, Durst was denied bail for obvious reasons because he was a flight risk. In an effort to hasten his extradition and avoid a protracted Louisiana court battle, Guerin raised questions about the validity of the New Orleans arrest and the hotel room search, pointing out that a local judge did not issue the warrant until hours after his client was detained. Uh, while communication with the LAPD and in conducting inventory of Durst's hotel room and possessions, the, and I quote, the FBI held him there incommunicado for almost eight hours. Uh, and during this time, he says that his client Durst was questioned extensively by the L.A. prosecutors and detective without a lawyer present on the morning after his arrest. So Durst's attorney charged that Louisiana's prosecutors engaged in misguided attempts to conceal facts from the court. They were pretty much trying to say that there was a misguided attempt to conceal facts from the court, the defendant, and the public. So now we're into April 8th. Right. So Durst was formally indicted in Louisiana by a grand jury for the weapons charges. Later that month, Durst's lawyers requested that more than $161,000 seized by the authorities during their search be returned, saying that the cash is not needed as evidence, is not contraband, and is not subject to forfeiture. <laughs> I took this to mean that at this point, they're just using everything in, that they can to delay. delay. Yeah. After negotiations with his defense team, Louisiana- But
1: money. He won't do anything weird with it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after negotiations, uh, Louisiana authorities ultimately dropped the weapons charge against Durst April 23rd, 2015- and his trial on the federal weapons charged was scheduled for September 21st, 2015. Uh, DeGuren confirmed rumors that Durst was in poor health, stating that he suffered from hydrocephalus and had a stent put into his skull two years before, as well as uh, spinal surgery and cancerous mass removed from his esophagus. It's at this point where we're going to start seeing them using his health to right. delay things. So Durst's attorneys requested a later date for the federal weapons charge trial, saying they needed more time to prepare, and it was rescheduled to January 11th, 2016. On November 16th, 2015, a New Orleans federal judge ordered Durst be rearranged on the weapons charges and scheduled a hearing for December 17th. When asked, Durst's attorney said that Durst did not kill Berman and that he wanted to resolve the other charges to expedite Durst's extradition to Los Angeles. Doesn't seem like they're really trying to resolve the other charges, though. On December 16th, 2015, prosecutors and defense attorney told Berrigan in a joint motion that scheduling conflicts ruled out all dates before January 11th, so they could not meet for that weapons charge on December 17th. It had to be after January 11th. Oh, well then. So it was rescheduled for February 3rd. And Durst changed his plea plea to guilty on the federal gun charge and received an 85-month prison sentence. Uh, and for those who are absolutely bad at math like me, that is a seven year prison sentence.
1: Well, he's at this point old with health issues.
0: I just love the fact they, they have... dragged it out for a year for yeah. a whole last year just for him to go I think I'm gonna I'm gonna change my plea so we don't have to go through the trial <laughs> At this oh, well. point, his extradition has been delayed a year but <laughs> The trial against Durst for the charge of murdering uh, Susan Berman was scheduled to begin in Los Angeles after he was arraigned in California, but his transfer was delayed uh, due to, and I quote, a serious surgery. That's all it says. You remember how when he uh, pissed all over the CVS candy, all they said was uh, a medical mishap? Yes. With this, all they said was it was a serious surgery that could mean literally anything yes. like any
1: surgery it could be a serious surgery if they fuck it up enough Yeah. <laughs> like... so a
0: conditional hearing was convened in February of 2017 so we are like two months shy we are a month shy of it being two years since he was arrested for this this damn murder
1: I, mean, and- I know court cases can get dragged out for like ungodly amounts of time but like oh my god yeah. <laughs>
0: and this is the thing we're in 2017 so we're now
1: 17 almost
0: almost 17 like 16 years and three months since susan was killed we're going on two
1: decades that is unconscionable
0: yeah well at this february 2017 conditional hearing a close friend of robert durst named nick Chaven. this was a man who durst was the best man at at nick's wedding he testified on the stand that Durst had personally confessed to murdering Susan to him. That's such hearsay, though. Yes. Thanks. A preliminary hearing was then initially scheduled for October 2017, but it was postponed to April 2018. To uh, this one, I, this one's valid to accommodate Durst's defense team, who suffered damage to their homes and offices during Hurricane Harvey.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's legit. Yeah.
0: yeah so the pre-trial hearings don't
1: care about your court schedule
0: (laughs) yeah so now we're in october 2018 uh and
1: terrifyingly recent (laughs) oh it
0: gets more recent oh boy Los Angeles County uh, Superior Judge Mark Wyndham ruled that there was enough evidence to try Durst for the murder of Berman and that he would be arraigned November 8th of 2018. During his court appearance the following day, Durst pleaded not guilty, and in January 2019, Wyndham set Durst's trial date for September 3rd, 2019. So now, September 2019, we are at almost 19 years since Susan was killed. We are rapidly
1: approaching... COVID we are times. at
0: four and a half years since since the the arrest warrant. Oh my god! This is so gonna, I, it's going to get delayed because of the pandemic, isn't it?
1: So oh.
0: May 2019, a motion was filed by Dersitermi, claiming that two handwriting samples, in order to confirm whether the cadaver note was sent by him, along with other evidence from his 2015 arrest, were illegally obtained. Durst's lawyers also claimed that there was a Fourth Amendment violation. In case you don't remember, the Fourth Amendment prohibits unreasonable search and seizures. Okay. So they claimed that there was a Fourth Amendment violation that would exclude the New Orleans evidence and that the search of his hotel room was unlawful. They had May meeting. 8th, the Los Angeles County prosecutor filed an affidavit replying to the motion. And they charge that Durst was creating an elaborate conspiracy theory. And I quote between the producers of the HBO documentary law enforcement officers in the Los Angeles County district attorney's office to make Durst incriminate himself and the time his arrest to maximize media attention and ratings. However, the defendant completely fails to acknowledge that most relevant fact leading to his arrest and the subsequent search of his hotel room and damning interview law enforcement was on notice that the defendant was actively preparing to flee the country right after crucial evidence pro- uh, connecting him to Susan Berman's murder was widely publicized on national television. Oh so they were saying, like, he was trying to say that the media is against me, the media is against me, that's why you're doing Goes this. all the way to the top. <laughs> yeah, but th- But then the, pr- the prosecutor saying, but that's not the case because as soon as this evidence came to light, he was trying to go to Cuba.
1: right. Yeah.
0: uh so may 17th 2019 Wyndham granted durst defense te- a a four-month postponement of his murder trial the delay was granted after the defense lawyer raised concerns about the volume of evidence in the case and that the case conflicts with attorney schedules so september 3rd 2019 uh so now we are at when the, the trial was supposed to start the judge uh, rejected an attempt by the defense fence attorneys for Durst to strip the producers of the drinks of protection under the California journalist Shield Law by having them declared as, and I quote, government agents. So again, just they're trying to delay things. They're trying to take evidence and throw it out the window. So additional evidential hearings were held in December 2019 regarding the admissibility of the statements uh, that Durst made in March 2015, just after his arrest Oh, i love this part in, uh, in a quote in a surprise move on december 24th 2019 Durst's lawyers contradicted his previous statements and filed court documents admitting that durst wrote the cadaver note
1: <laughs> they were just gonna slip that in there hope nobody noticed
0: yeah uh in all previous statements durst consistently denied that he wrote it and like i said in the jinx documentary he even said whoever wrote it must have been the killer and now they're saying he wrote it um oh my god <laughs> Yeah. So <laughs> now we're March 2nd, 2020, Durst appeared in court to begin his trial, which was expected to take several months. However, like you said, Ace, the proceedings were postponed amid the pandemic. And in June, 2020, 2020. his defense team yes. filed a motion requesting a mistrial because of this delay. And of course the judge was like, no, fuck you and deny oh, it. No, dude, no. So July 2020, the judge ruled that a further delay until April of 2021 was necessary due to the pandemic, but he would allow the trial to proceed if Durst agreed to a bench trial without a jury of his peers. And Durst said, no. So the trial was scheduled to resume on April 12th, 2021. Then due to the pandemic, it was postponed until May 17th, 2021. On May 13th, 2021, again, we are in this year. We are recording this on September 18th, 2021. So like three, four months ago. May 13th, four days before his trial is supposed to start again, Durst's lawyers filed a motion in the court saying that Durst developed bladder cancer and moved the court to postpone the trial indefinitely and to release him on bail to receive medical treatment that is currently not being provided. The motion was denied. The trial happened. uh, It started May 17th. And Wyndham, the judge, questioned the jurors before it started about whether they could still remain neutral in the case after a 14-month break. One of the jurors was dismissed for ignoring court instruction not to follow the trial in the news during the pandemic break.
1: I remember hearing about that, yeah. Yeah.
0: But other than that, you know, it started. Like, the the, the trial was on its way. And it was like, it was supposed to take several months. It was not going to be done in a week. Right. And then June 10th, I'm just going to stop saying the year. We're in 2021. June 10th, Durst was hospitalized after being found down and not in his wheelchair. The judge sent the jury home with plans to resume on June 14th, and the prosecutor expressed suspicion that the defendant was faking a medical crisis in order to force a mistrial.
1: Sounds like something he'd do. Yeah,
0: Yeah, especially since he was on record with a call from the county jail saying that he was going to plan to fake dementia and seek a mistrial due to COVID-19 said, and I quote, I have no idea whether this is legitimate or not, but obviously given his history, it's certainly suspect to what his actual condition is. Yeah. So the testimonies continued. His brother Douglas, you know, the one that I said he had a awful relationship with. Uh-huh appeared June 28th, 2021 saying he was reluctant to appear at the trial and was doing so under threat of subpoena. When he was asked about his relationship with his brother, he said, I'm generally concerned that my brother wants to murder me. I've hired security today. I have, I live in fear that my brother, because my brother has threatened to kill me. It should also be noted that In the past, like 13 members of his family have filed restraining orders against him after he's just shown up in their driveway, uh, like menacingly lurking there. And he's threatened to kill almost everyone in his family.
1: That is.
0: (sighs) Yeah. So July 29th, Durst's defense team again asked for an emergency halt due to his poor medical condition, saying he wasn't able to testify on his own behalf. But on August 2nd, the judge rejected this. Uh, He gave numerous examples of Durst's competency in his rejection. And the prosecution closed its case against Durst after 11 weeks. So I'm going to read you from an article real quick. Um, And I had to, uh, all the ones from um, the U.S. were under a paywall. So this is from the, The Sun, August 17th, 2021. Robert Durst admits to writing the cadaver note, directing cops to Susan Berman's body, says he lied because it made him look bad. So um, he said that he admitted that he lied about authoring the note, uh, saying, and I quote, I have difficulty believing it myself. It's very difficult to believe, to accept that I wrote the letter and that I did not kill Susan Berman, even though I wrote the letter. He said that he What happened was he planned to have a quote unquote staycation with Susan for the holidays and that he had a key to her apartment and that he walked in on the 23rd expecting to, you know, have a great month long staycation with his bestie and found her dead, panicked left her there. He said that he called on a payphone to 911 dispatch. But when they said, 911, what's your emergency? He realized that his voice would be recognizable. He was scared. He hung up and he decided instead that he was just going to write cadaver in the address so that the cops would find her. And so that was his story. Now that's what the story he said on
1: the, on the stand. If it was anyone else, I would be like, okay, legitimate, like plausible. But since it's him? Yeah. No. Bullshit. Call bullshit. I call bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit.
0: The defense opened uh, with extensive testimony of false memories. They had an expert named Dr. Elizabeth Loftus, who questioned the decades recollection of prosecution witnesses. um, You know, talking about false memories and how memories can change over time and shift due to media and your own perspectives as you grow durst was expected to testify like i said on his own behalf um but there was a positive covid test related to his legal team when he did put, take the stand for 14 days he also admitted to lying all under oath during another trial um which i went get <laughs> uh it just wasn't good he, and he even admitted he said i
1: lied five times
0: on the stand during this trial
1: He's just at this point, like, old, dying of cancer, and just doesn't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> yeah.
0: So on September 14th, 2021, the jury was charged with reaching a verdict by Judge Mark Windham. So they, they adjourned, and he's saying, Ace, what's the date?
1: It is, as we're recording this, September 18th.
0: Okay. September 17th. Oh my god! <laughs> the jury came back. And Robert Durst
1: was found guilty for the first-degree murder of Susan Berman. Oh, my... Oh, first of all, yes. Second of all, I'm so mad that his legal team was successful at dragging this out this long. I mean, on the other hand, that is what your defense team is for. You want them to do that. Like, you want them to be effective and good at that. I just... He's such a bad person. Yeah. But, uh, better late than never. Yeah. better late than him dying of cancer before they reached that verdict and held him accountable like
0: yeah but it's just so much after years of delay after years of postponements one of his victims has
1: justice has like yes that's accountability and that is just so long oh my god he he has so much more
0: but again, I've already had to break this up into three episodes because this man is just a riot.
1: And he not is. a good riot. And not a good not... riot. Like a like the actual definition of the word riot. Like a bad yeah. time. He is a mess. He's a mess that leaves violence in his wake.
0: And, and it's all oh. over the
1: candy bars.
0: Yes. and oh. There's so much more. And I can't cover it. I'm not <laughs> going to cover it. I refuse. So... Yes, that is the story of the murder of Susan Berman.
1: Oh, gosh.
0: Still a sad ending, but a happier ending than Durst's wife ever got yeah. because justice
1: was found. Right. I'm going to have yeah. to seek out some of her books, though. She sounds like she had a excellent past to write about. So I'm going to have to go find some of her books and read them. She sounds like she was a great writer. So Yeah.
0: All right. But, so <laughs> da, 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 da. Uh, my source is obviously Wikipedia. I, I'm going to be honest. I went down a rabbit hole learning about this stuff. I watched a bunch of YouTube videos and YouTube yep. documentaries and interviews with Susan Berman, and I forgot to write all of them down. I did use <sighs> the power privilege and justice which is a docu series it's one of those like true crime sensationalized um, and there is an episode on robert dürst and i used uh, i used that it's it's old and outdated but um, i used a bunch of news articles Including, but not limited to. People magazines, these are all from yesterday. Robert Durst found guilty of murdering <laughs> best friend Susan Berman to cover up wife's disappearance. Yahoo News, Robert Durst convicted of murdering his friend Susan Berman. Uh, we are now at the New York Daily News, posted uh, September 17th. Robert Durst convicted of murder in 2000, killing a Susan Berman. CBS News, same day. Robert Durst found guilty of killing best friend Susan Berman. Los Angeles Times, from March... 9th, two thousand fifteen, defense attorney reopening inquiry into the death of the Jinxes. Susan Berman report says the Guardian posted, "Where's your date?" Oh, yesterday. <laughs> really there, <laughs> Robert Durst found guilty of murdering his friend Susan Berman. NBC News yesterday: Robert Durst found guilty of murdering close friend Susan Berman in two thousand. I looked up Susan Berman cadaver note in order to read the note itself. Um, so i literally just found a google image of it which is from the washington post on the jinx finale recap everything that led to robert nurse saying what did i do i killed them all of course which by the way i will mention the j the people who like did the editing for the jinx admitted that they cut and pasted and edited yeah i figured that had to
1: be too good to be true when they dropped that on yeah. that special they're like he would better
0: do it in the bathroom yeah. like did he though
1: did he
0: yeah. August 17th 2021 the sun note bombshell Robert Durst admits writing cadaver note directing cops to Susan Berman's body and said he lied because it made him look bad so yeah those are my sources it's not as put together as anything you do because it was literally too much information i'm sorry that i spent like 15 minutes reading off the wikipedia but i wasn't going to essentially transcribe that timeline down and wikipedia synced it pretty well
1: yeah you did a great job that was how that was intense (laughs) yeah so was robert durst yeah yeah
0: and there's more there's so like, much on he, this there's man. So much there's, more
1: about him. How many and,
0: times did I say that other crime that I'm not gonna talk about today? There is another
1: crime associated with this motherfucker. Yeah. And yet, because of the first like episode that you did on him, like the first thing that pops into like I know all of this stuff about him, like all these crimes that he did and all like the wild stuff and like the uh like the time he got like arrested for shoplifting, like a sandwich and a band-aid, like all the weird stuff that he's done and the crimes he's been accused of and now the first thing that's gonna pop in my head forever and always when i hear the name robert durst is that time he pissed on all that candy yeah (laughs) yeah i'm like oh candy pisser himself robert durst but yeah um he's a fucking He is yeah he's a a, a fucking piece of trash he's just
0: i don't want to use the term insane like who gets on the stand for 14 days and admits to lying on the stand during those 14 days
1: yeah, that's I definitely I lied in this trial. There's like 20 screws loose. Yeah,
0: Like I know in the 50s he was possibly diagnosed with schizophrenia and like personality and he has actual mental illness but when you're 78 years old and that diagnosis was given to you 68 years ago, like you, have, you have time to get in the you and you have all the money he did, you
1: have the time to get the help. I was going to say in the I I don't think I've, like, read anywhere that he, well, and I mean, they may not go into it, but, like, did he actively seek treatment for these things? No. I don't think he did. Out of all the
0: research I did, the only time he saw therapy is when his father put him in sibling rivalry therapy with with Douglas, and when he and that wasn't said, even
1: therapy he thought sought out. That was
0: that that was called um, sibling rivalry counseling or civil yeah. rivalry therapy or something like that. And it was just a, a psychiatrist was like, "Yeah, he has severe personality decomposition. He possibly has schizophrenia," um, and his dad was like. Cool. And that's uh, it. And he never noted. saw I, the all I could find when it came to like things and this is not therapy. The anytime I searched for anything that wasn't related to his crimes, all I got was
1: he smoked weed and snorted cocaine. That's not therapy. And hey, you're not so, you shouldn't combine those two. I know we've said that before. No, Don't he, combine also, those two. he
0: also beat his wife. So he that's was not also doing not therapy. therapy. No he, he yeah, it's he was not seeking therapy. He was doing the absolute the opposite, opposite of, of what he yeah. needed to do. I don't know. He's just da 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 da, 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 da. da, da. <laughs> I'm done talking about him tonight.
1: Oh uh, yeah, I was gonna say this sounds like a good a good time to to call it a day. This has been
0: such a mess. I'm going to have fun editing this, especially when I'm tripping over (laughs) my words trying to read the Wikipedia article for his absolute nightmare of a case proceedings. This is going to be a fun editing job. (laughs) But let's tell people where they can find us. If you have stories you want to tell us, questions, comments, concerns, sweet nothings you want to type in a super small font so we can read it as if you're whispering in our ear creepily, Uh, you can email (laughs) us at trulyfabulouslymonstrous at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram
1: at trulyfabulouslymonstrous. All one word. And if you want to come hang out with us on Twitter, we are on Twitter at tfabmonsterpod. Yeah. So tune in
0: next week when I tell a weird story.
1: Yeah, we'll be there. We hope you will, too. Bye. Bye. Yeah, we'll be there. We hope you will, too. Bye. Bye. i'm gonna have fun editing this especially when i'm tripping
0: over my words trying to read the Wikipedia article for his absolute nightmare of a case proceedings this is gonna be a fun editing job
1: (laughs) but let's tell people where they can find us for next
0: time yes If you have stories you want to tell us, questions, comments, concerns, sweet nothings you want to type in a super small font so we can read it as if you're whispering in our ear creepily, Uh, you can email (laughs) us at trulyfabulouslymonstrous at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram at trulyfabulouslymonstrous.
1: All one word. And if you want to come hang out with us on Twitter, we are on Twitter at tfabmonsterpod. Yeah. So tune in next week when I tell a weird story. Yeah, we'll be there. We hope you will, too. Bye. Bye.